previously on The Trade Waiters. I mean, I'm gorgeous and I'm a mess. <laughs> it's something that's been evolving and having it kind of preserved in amber uh, gives you a way in that otherwise, if it wasn't chronicled in this way, you wouldn't have access to. No, I found it, so I had intense issues with this book to the degree that I'm gonna just come out and say I didn't like it. They're experiencing that and it's happening again. Like, yeah. all of those same conversations are playing out like, we really need to change the Electoral College. What's yeah. with these superdelegates? We really need to... the trade waiters yeah um if you're listening to this episode hopefully you listen to the last one where we talked extensively about dykes to watch out for because we're gonna do that again today and harder more more to say on the all the topics yeah um should we introduce ourselves just in case someone is not playing by the rules and listening to this episode without having listened to the previous one yes do you have a character revealing question? Oh, yeah, I do. I actually have one, and then I have a backup one because I couldn't remember no, if we'd too. done this one before because okay. I did not listen to all of the episodes to figure that out. While we introduce ourselves, what like property or character or like universe or whatever that you don't own would you like to write if given the chance? Have we had that question before? Um, I don't I know don't if so. we have. So let's just go. Okay, with it. we'll just go with it. So like. What would you like to write if given the chance? So, uh, I'm Jeff Ellis. I'm going to be super predictable, and I'm just going to say that if given the opportunity, I would totally write uh, The Amazing Spider-Man if they offered it to me. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I can bring some of the more more teen angst to Spider-Man that is sometimes missing. Sometimes missing, sometimes there. I could really just, I think I could really bring a little something special to that. Pull from your true emo background? That's right. I don't have an answer. Does anyone else Oh, have okay. <laughs> I have an answer. Please. Because I kind of want to think about this. Wait, can I take a bet on what it is? Uh, sure. Should we say it in unison? Oh. <laughs> is it Degrassi? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kathleen Gross, and I would kill for the opportunity to write either a Degrassi episode or arc. An arc, even. Slash, you already have an episode. Tell them the title. Uh, Vape Escape. It's about, uh, well, okay, Faye and I were just spitballing, um, and came up with Picture, a if really you will, a Halloween-themed Degrassi episode. All about the dangers of vaping. Did you know it's probably just as bad as cigarettes? What? How can it be true? Yeah, uh... Well, if we get to write our Degrassi episode, we'll tell you more. Yeah, Ooh. through the mouths of teens. <laughs> We're trying out that vape life. Who are dressed up as werewolves for Halloween. Of course. They're all <laughs> dressed up as the Teen Wolf werewolves. <laughs> but, like, slightly off-brand, because I'm not sure if we can do that. But get in touch, Degrassi, because we can work out the details. We've thought a lot about this. We are, like, prolific and esteemed Canadian cartoonists. <laughs> so I'm not sure why you wouldn't hire us to write the best Canadian television show. Like, okay. Just get in contact, like please. What's your email? Sigmonster <laughs> <laughs> so at gmail.com, please, we're desperate. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
My name is Spayar Monster, and along with Degrassi, I would kill for a chance to write either a Tenten, where he's trans, or Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, Dagobah era, grappling with his trans identity slash bisexual identity while he's training as a Jedi with Yoda in the swamps on Dagobah. Thought a lot about it. Star, with Star Wars now Disney? Also email me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Angela Mellick, and I struggle with this, actually. There's not a lot of properties that I feel like I have a lot of depth in that I could naturally write for. (laughs) I have written some Pokemon. (laughs) Oh, it's been been some time, though. I would do Pokemon. I would jump in the chance to write some Pokemon, for sure. Yeah, send the Pokemans to me. Right, What's your email? How can we get Jam at wastedtalent.ca. I'll write all the Pokemans for you, but they'll be real sad. So It'll I'll be really tragic. I mean, they fight to death. It's great. Bulbasaur dies. No! <laughs> Page no, no. <laughs> Bulbasaur so, is the hero. Hopefully, the hiring department of all of these major media conglomerates have been listening. Um, in the meantime, shall we move on to Dykes to Watch Out for? Yeah, sure. I guess. I, I mean, we could we talk read... more about my Degrassi Yeah, arc. like, why didn't we read the Degrassi graphic novel? Oh have, there, have there been a okay, actually, adaptation? Yes, there are some standalone Degrassi The Next Generation comics, and I'm pretty sure the cartoonist is Canadian. Um, I wow. think I can't remember Steve who. Ralston yeah, did at least one I think one of it was him, yeah. You um, literally need to bring me back on the podcast just so we can talk about this. I'm begging you. Okay. <laughs> yes, alternatively, I would also write a Degrassi series of comics. Um, anyways. Degrassi, any media. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, oh boy, I'm too excited. I don't know if we can do this podcast. I'm, I'm curious how... I need to leave. <laughs> I'm curious how much of this episode Jonathan's going to cut. <laughs> no, John, all the Degrassi is gold. I need to get hired. It's important. Okay, so, uh, last episode we talked a lot about Dykes to Watch Out For, and a lot of the issues we had with the work, and I guess we'll talk about more this episode. Yes, we are we had a list. We are going to uh, Yeah, about. let's... um kick things off with the talking about the art because we didn't get into that at all last episode i mean jeff you mentioned a little bit about uh sort of like it was interesting to see her art progress over time uh i jealously looked at how she was able to sort of like draw minimal backgrounds and yet still make it feel like a busy like populated space where like Mm. it felt like there was an environment even though there'd only be like a panel maybe two panels with the environment and the rest would be sort of like shaded a little bit behind groups of people who were talking heads and Mm. yet it's still like it didn't feel like a cop-out necessarily Mm. there were two things that i really appreciated about the artwork the first is i loved the title blocks yeah, on every single so one. Yeah. So they all have a unique font and they're all hand-drawn and I just really like the effort that was put into all of them and uh, especially with a, a bi-weekly strip it really did enforce that every page is a standalone little episode, every page is a standalone yeah. thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I really liked it. I thought it was great. And the other thing is I thought all the women felt really natural and real. So when it comes to their body shapes, when it comes to their gestures and the way that they're just existing in the space, quite often in some other works, people can feel posed, can feel that that they're a little bit separate from their background, but everyone felt very real and tangible. Yeah, or like, I mean, uh, like, sometimes there's that, like, male gazy thing of, Mm -hmm. like, looking at the way that women are drawn, which is, like, it's, they're not just, like, sitting, they're posing in a way to be that is perceived as attractive within, like, the constructs of our society or whatever. It's not just, like, a woman sitting or whatever. Um, So, yeah, there was definitely, like, that physicality that felt nice. And, like, I was noticing in one of the 
later strips, there's a scene where uh, Sydney's talking to her dad's um, girlfriend or step, uh, her Sydney's stepmom or something, who's younger, but she's doing, like, exercises and, like, yoga things, and, like, she's got, like, the little tummy flab, and, mm-hmm. like, it was just, like, yeah, that's, that's how, like, a real person moves, even, like, within this very stylized, like, minimalistic sort mm-hmm. of, um, drawing. It was still, like, yeah, no, there's substance and form, and it's not, like, trying to draw this, like, weird idealization. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. No, the character yeah. designs were great, and... Yeah, I, I second that with the, the title plates. Uh, it was like a history of graphic design. You kind of <laughs> saw all the like screen dots and, and and like geometric shapes of the eighties like give way to these like really minimalist, like grunge like typefaces in the nineties. Like, oh yeah. It was it was yeah, great. It was fun. It was good. Yeah, and I mean I think overall, like on my way over to record today I like looked at the first couple strips again and I guess I'd kind of forgotten what those had looked like. So looking at, like, strip number one after finishing this book, I was like, oh, my God, like, these look awful. These are just terrible drawings. And it just started, I started flipping through the pages, just watching it tighten up and tighten up and tighten up. And until you get to the style I recognize, which is much more like the style she used in Fun Home. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just really neat to see that artistic evolution uh, I think her drawing ability just really came together uh, through the course of this strip. One thing I just want to get out there right now, though, which is because I've been teaching a course in comic book art at Langara, and there's two big things that I'm always talking about with my students. One of those things is breaking the line, which is basically the idea that you don't flip your camera to the opposite side of the room so that your characters are changing places so that people on the left don't suddenly jump over to the right-hand side in a scene. The other one is, with lettering, not having the two tails cross over, uh, just like the way, you know, with the Ghostbusters guns, you just don't cross those things, right? She does it all the time, and it just drives me crazy. See, like, like, I would actually argue... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like, I think... Um, like, the 180 rule is, like, maybe good for people who, like, maybe don't have the chops at, like, drawing, like, distinct characters and, like, backgrounds and environments, like, as, as a way to sort of, like, learn really... What are you saying really... about the way I draw, Kathleen? Well, no, because, like, I consciously try to follow that, too, because I don't, I don't think that I'm, like, strong enough to necessarily pull it off in certain ways a lot of the time, but, like, I think the way that Bechdel draws and the way that she structures her environments and stuff, it's, like... Pr- there was no point where I was like, wait a minute, I don't understand, I don't follow here. Like, similarly for me with, like, the crossing of the tails, like, I actually thought she broke that rule successfully. Hmm. Um, for me, the, like, the only times I was confused as to who was speaking is she has a habit of not drawing people's mouths open when they're hmm. speaking, which I know is really subjective. For me, I personally like it when characters' mouths are open when they're speaking, but hmm. that's super nitpicky. Yeah. Um, it's just, like, sometimes if there's multiple characters in a panel, it can be a little bit confusing. Yeah. But for the most part, when the tails crossed, I was like, yeah, you do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. totally <laughs> fair. It's completely subjective. But for me, I felt that she was, like, breaking that rule successfully. I, I would say, like, that generally, like, I, I would definitely confess that there there weren't scenes where I was confused. Like, I did know who was talking, but there's a lot of times where I just felt like some of it was needless. Like, there'd be a time where she would have... She'd start with the first panel of 
two people with this person on the left, this person on the right, and in the first frame, they're already crossing balloons. So she's set herself up where the first person talking is not on the left, and then she just carries that through the whole page, and it's like, well, all you had to do was start with the panel flipped, and then this would flow better. So you're just sort of needlessly like breaking up the flow. I, I don't know. I guess I just felt like it didn't need to be as as cluttered as it was. I mean, fair enough. I'm kind of like on the side of, well, as long as you can read it and you aren't confused, it's fine. Like okay. the moment that you as the reader have to like step out and do the work and be like, I'm sorry, I don't know who's speaking here. It's like if right. you ever read a Michael Andache book and he doesn't do the like she said after dialogue and it's just like a page of like dialogue and you're like, I don't know who's speaking anymore. Mm. Like <laughs> the equivalent of that in comics right. where you're like, I actually have to like work and sit down and figure it out and like... Okay, you know what? I'm lazy. Uh, why are you making these faces at me, Spay? For the listener, Spay is making very judgmental faces. <laughs> as I say, as long as you don't have to do work, comics are fine. <laughs> I can't read. I like real books. I'm the victim here. <laughs> um, we know that's not true. I am a child. <laughs> Just born. Right, I was born in the year 2000. Protect you. Any more thoughts on the art? You're um, all wrong, and I'm right, and the tails were fine. <laughs> You're objectively wrong about the tails. Um, I liked slash when I when I started. Okay, it took me a while to be like, why do her panels feel so like full and real? And then I realized her cheat is she hatches the top of the panels, yeah. so everyone's in this like two thirds or a third of gloom. And it fills them up. And then the second I noticed it, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> it's on every single panel and every yeah. single page. And it's like, kudos for you, Doze, I guess, for like figuring this stuff out. But at the same time, the more and more I noticed it. And the other thing that drove me up the flipping wall was this like cute thing she does. I'm sorry, Alison Bechdel. It's not your fault. Um, where the logos on people's shirt and the newspaper headlines will change oh, at yeah. every single panel. It drove me bananas. Oh, I liked I, I, I it. Liked it. I, I thought it was fun. I love that. <laughs> Wait, Shay, come back. No, it we have to finish recording. It was definitely her being like, look at all the cute, pithy things I have to say. Sure, but, sure, 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 sure. like, I mean, I don't know, it worked. It, for at least, I don't know how you felt, Angela, but it's like, you know, if this comic is coming out, like, once every two weeks, like, yeah, have some fun. Give your readers, like, something to play with, and, like, you it know. It was probably printed at a fairly large size. And it was something someone would sit at with a cup of coffee and be like, oh, look at this newspaper headline. How yeah, because that to my life? I think, like, the thing that got me was that there's already literally a thousand words per page in this it's comic. True, it's a lot. I don't want to read it's more gross. microfiche that's like some pithy shirt comment. Oh, so start if, oh, if we can talk for a moment about the digital edition. So we go back and forth with this uh, throughout this podcast about the differences between the digital and the physical edition. So the physical edition is uh, limited in the sense that it's as big as it's going to get unless you go physically closer to it. But on Kindle, uh, the panel by panel is actually really great. So you can tap in and it zooms in on each panel. And I found this a much more comfortable way to read. And so I was able to enjoy, you know, name, relation, contact, phone, all of these little details in it much more easily with my old blind eyes. Uh, Yours is the Kindle one? Yes. Okay, well then, let me, while, while you're showing that off, I'll just say, I got the Kobo edition mm. on my iPad, and uh, I think I'm going to have to switch over to Kindle, because this was terrible. Like, the page numbers don't line up, the digital oh, page uh, numbers don't line up with the printed page numbers, there is no guided view. 
Oh. Uh, every page is like a fused spread. No, Kobo. No. It's it's terrible. Kobo, I, how dare I, you? I, I'm like, every time you guys are referencing a page, I, I cannot actually get to it because of how bad the interface is. Oh, look at this. I can go to any page. <laughs> Kindle, you done good. You don't always do good, but this one was fine. Great. All right. What so, else was on the list? <laughs> politics. politics. Yes. Which oh, I feel like we, we covered, I mean, we covered... Gen- a lot of like LGBT politics in the last episode, but there was also a lot of American politics. Yeah, uh, which I will say, I mean, I grew up in the '80s, but I was like, you know, a little kid, so it was interesting reading a story from the perspective of adults in the '80s and really getting a sense of how dark things seemed in the Reagan years, how people that were left leaning really felt a lot of looming like, dread over what was happening to America at that time period. And it was really interesting following, like, the election campaign following, you know, Reagan, and then seeing, like, George Bush Sr. come in, and and just, like, that, the reaction to that of just, like, oh, no, more of the same, uh, touching on things about the Iraq War, the the first one, Um, and and then sort of this glimmer of hope with Bill Clinton coming in, and and then sort of the lackluster response to like, well, we got Clinton, but he's not quite. He hasn't as, done anything for us. Which again is yeah. like reflections of like when George Bush Jr. leaves, and then we get Obama, and it's like, well, we got yeah, Obama, Obama, but he's not really doing very much. He's kind of stuck with the Senate. <laughs> so yeah, it was really interesting to see that cycle. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. Those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. Blah blah blah. These things come in waves and cycles, and there's an ebb and flow, and it's been really interesting to reflect back on mm-hmm. some of these previous parts of the cycle and contrast it with what's happening right now. You know, we have the same sort of... From my perspective, there was a lot about environmentalism and, mm-hmm. you know, global warming and the different... Uh, the way that that was perceived and how they were reacting to it even back then, yeah. which was very interesting. And again, like, there's the kind of poignancy of, like, oh, we haven't solved this yet versus, you know, like, oh, look how far we've come. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> was... That yeah, was... Um, awesome, yeah. yeah, that was... I found that, like, I think one of the most depressing strips was, like, the... The one where um, Sparrow's husband, basically, Stu, yeah, he just spontaneously, like, gets rid of his car without consulting her because, like, we got to... Oh, Stuart, Stuart, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong, Stuart's great. If everyone in the world was like Stuart, we'd probably be living in a better world. No, I just, as a character, I thought it was so funny. I loved how, was it Ginger who described him as a soft butch, maybe? I love the panel where he introduced, like, all of his ex-girlfriends who are now dating each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> yeah. Stu, but yeah, Stu he's great. such a bleeding heart environmentalist. Yeah. I love yeah. the part where it's like, well, let's take the kids and go hang up this impeach bush sign yeah. on us yeah. in the highway. Yeah. There's, like, this one panel near... Near the end, where Stuart's uh, Sparrow's daughter, uh, Jr., is, um, he, she and Stuart are like out in the front lawn, and she's like down on the ground. She's like, "Look, a dandelion!" And he's like, "Oh, that's great, honey!" And his thought was like, "Oh God, we're gonna die flowers in January." <laughs> like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, yeah. see, the other thing is like when you realize that even back in like, I mean, I guess that was probably like two thousand, but it's like. It's 16 years later, and we're still kind of like, oh, maybe we should do something about all those emissions. Uh, 
It's very impressive. <laughs> I, like, occasionally, like, because I was, like, reading this before I was going to bed, and I'd have to, like, put it down at certain parts, because, like, I can't read a cancer story right before I go to bed, because that's when my brain goes not fun, and it's like, let's think of all the ways that you maybe have cancer, or, like, <laughs> let's think about all the ways that the earth is dying and you can't stop it. Yeah. No, so from that perspective, and so it was another aspect that throughout time it was really interesting to mm-hmm. see, especially a very left-leaning group and how they were responding to this, what they were concerned about at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, the same thing. I don't know, <laughs> this is just like an idea, but I feel like this book could be interesting within the context of like a university course on like American politics and like if you had like a reading group on a whole bunch of different books, it would be like an interesting course, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yeah. know. I definitely um I definitely think like related to the the like government politics, I also found it kind of interesting in the later volumes where, you know, Mo works at the you know, Mad Women's bookstore, which is this independent book retailer that's providing, you know, gay and lesbian literature uh to a very small subsection of people that wouldn't have access otherwise. But then gradually, you know, the the I forget what they... They had another name for it. Buns like the, and Noodle. That's the Buns and Noodle comes in, a.k.a. Barnes and Noble, and it's like they're like this big box, you know, bookstore. And gradually, as the politics become more left-leaning, their book selection becomes more left-leaning, and suddenly people are buying books from Buns and Noodle and not from Mad Women's. And it's interesting watching Jazana becoming more and more, like, embittered at how this community is not supporting her as a small business owner because they're going for, like, the cheaper pricing. And then you see that further reinforced with Medusa, uh, this website, uh, which I thought was a fun, a very oh my cute, gosh, I just cute, Jesus. Yeah, um, <laughs> on a uh, certain other website with Greek characters in the name. But, um, yeah, so the Medusa website suddenly comes in, and now people are just ordering their books direct to their houses, and... Even Buns and Noodle is now suffering. So in the light of that, how does how does Mad Women survive when Buns and Noodle can't even compete against what's going on on the internet? And it's it's interesting because I'm such a tech nerd. Like I'm totally like someone who's just buying everything online. I have all these like iTunes downloads and Netflix accounts, and you know, and and I I think I kind of don't appreciate that there was this time period where there was all this small business, all these small bookstores and, and small record shops. And like all of that has just been like obliterated by the internet. And we sort of, I mean, at the same time, like I'm sure someone's like, what, you want to, you want to go back to the old ways? Like you Mm -hmm. get this direct to your, your device. I mean, this is the way the future is, but it's, it is kind of interesting just looking back at, at this time period where there was before the internet, people did things very differently and watching that paradigm shift uh, yeah. It was really, really fascinating. I did find it extremely poignant when Madwin's books finally closed, and Mo ended up working at Mo and Lois ended up working <laughs> at the Barnes and Nobles at the end. I found it very yeah. sad because part of me wanted, as this whole work is kind of preserved in amber, I almost wanted this community preserved in amber in at least that one space, mm. where it's like you know what, even in this little comic book universe, at least there's still independent bookstores where you know they can <laughs> go about their daily lives and this and that. So I felt it a little bit sad on a selfish level, but it was felt very true. It felt very, you know, it's like, well, times are a-changing. You know, it's the truth and it, it changes. And, and it was sort of like, it, it. I agree. And it comes into, like, what they were talking about with their kind of, the community was up in arms and at war within itself at the beginning when they're discussing the concept of same-sex marriage. 
it was kind of counterpoint to that where it's like, well, we have our Mad Women books, which is we're the only people who are selling this particular brand of LGBT queer literature, and we're the only place people can go because no one else will sell it. And then as the story progresses, it's like, oh, well, now the buns and noodles or whatever, they're opening. And not only there are competition because they're a bookstore, they're a competition because they're selling the stuff that before only we would sell. Mm -hmm. And then it's like that. It's the idea of like the normalization and the commercialization and then the selling of queer, which then comes back into like it, it references itself later when they were going to a pride parade. And they were all mad about it being too corporate. And so then Stuart <laughs> was the one who was like, I'm not getting in your SUV. We're going to anti-pride or whatever it was yeah. called. Yeah. Pride. Yeah. Oh, um, there, it was like, was it um, Gay Shame or something? Yeah, Gay Shame, that's the one. Mo was doing. Yeah, it was so good. I, it, it came in in another way as well, which I thought was interesting. So as uh, the as the arc progressed and these characters got older, I, there were these younger lesbians that would come to work for Mad Women's Books. Yeah. And there would be this intergenerational conflict where the younger lesbians would be like, well, aren't you coming to the march? And they're like, what? Which march again? Like, yeah. And so it's this kind of uh, passing of the torch of the radicalism, if you can think of that, versus you know settling into your later years, or maybe that evolution. So. And it's so interesting, too, because at the beginning, like when Alison Bechdel started it, she was definitely on, like, we're going to the marches, you yeah. know, we're very into it. And then as the comic progressed, it's like, oh man, those kids going to the marches. Is a pride again? Kids these days, and yeah. then like it, it even got worse <laughs> when she's writing like as Raffi, Raffi is that his yeah. name? Starts to Raffi. grow up. Yeah, and there would be moments where it's just like, <laughs> oh, you're does she talk to children because he'd be the texting? instant messages. He'd be texting, and I'm like, what kids are these? <laughs> no one uses these like acronyms that they were using in this shorthand, and it was like. An old oh, woman yeah, on lawn kind of way yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about, you know, the kids these days. Um, and, I, and I just thought it was interesting where she went from being like, we've got to go to the oh, marches, we're going to get arrested. I, I, just on the, like, the children speak, there was like a really annoying time when Rafi was growing up where he was speaking like this and like having to read that was awful. <laughs> like, like a baby speak? I get yeah. that you're like the writing a little baby who can't speak, but also like, oof. It was like four pounds. Mm. <laughs> but okay, yeah, we'll, we'll belittle my contributions to this podcast. It's fine, and that's totally valid. But you don't need to be here, Spay. You're a guest. Wow. Oh, it's okay. Oh, this shoot. podcast just took a turn. I've always loved you. Oh, um, better speaking, off. Speaking of uh, maybe like the next generation, though, um, what did you guys think of uh, Cynthia? the Republican lesbian. It was interesting because it reminds me of a certain person that we know. Yes. Uh, we have, I was thinking of, I was thinking of someone who is a conservative gay and uh, we butt heads personally uh, on matters of politics at times, but it's a tough road to walk being someone who considers themselves politically right leaning mm -hmm. uh, existing in that community. And I do feel like it was mostly played off for laughs. Yes. More or less, but it, it felt was like it withered on the vine. I it found. did. I didn't get a lot of resolution from that character. Yeah. I didn't even realize that she was gay or a lesbian until like way later on. Like when they ran into her at the Pride Parade, I was just like, oh, it's interesting she was out there with her bike. And then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took a little bit to be like, oh. And then she's like okay. flirting with girls. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Like, yeah, no, no, no. Because they, they had a whole extended thing where. Um, you know, she was dating a girl, but then she was saving herself for marriage. Right, and so right. this yeah, other girl's like, well, if we're, not gonna, if we're not going <laughs> to have sex, I don't think I really want to be in this relationship anymore. And she's like, let's do a commitment ceremony, and then we yeah. can have sex, and this and that. Yeah. And she was dating the biker chick for a while. Yeah. And 
Yeah. Yeah, it was a whole thing. I see. I found. I mean, I I thought that was interesting. Though I will admit that I, I definitely felt like it was a little bit of a like straw man sort of. Man, yeah, aren't Republican really, gay people ridiculous? Look at this. It did feel a little <laughs> bit strong-manish. I will agree with that. I think it was because she just... she Yeah, it's sort of like you guys, maybe there was no... She didn't reconcile those lifestyles at all. It just sort of became this thing of like, well, you're stuck in a loop that's never going to succeed. Like, I and felt that, that was kind of the end of Thea it. I Thea or Thea. Thea as a character as well. Like, it was introduced to... It's like, here we have a queer disabled woman, and we'll introduce her for a while... And now she's gone. Like, we're going to... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's like, just, like... It was a really interesting arc with her and Sydney, though. I yeah. I felt like the conflict between her and Sydney, where, you know, Sydney left her on the eve of her being... Diagnosed with multiple, multiple sclerosis. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that was a little interesting twist, I felt, on her mm-hmm. disability. But at the beginning, it definitely did. And yeah. even Mo was commenting on this, like, oh, now we have to accept the disabled person. I know, I'm like, <laughs> that's Mo, like a movie thing. You can't like, just say Mo, don't, don't just say things. <laughs> Yeah. It was frustrating. <laughs> but it's true. There was she she kind of faded into the background. Yeah. Especially after Mad Women's closes, she was kinda of like which that I, friend you just don't have anymore. Which I mean is true to it's life. It's true to life. And I guess when you like you're right, they did have a strong main cast of about a dozen people. Um but it did suck when someone just kind of drifts out into the background. Which probably is exacerbated by the fact that the story itself is unfinished. So <laughs> So are we, it, you said you wanted to go find the end of it. Is there no end? Does it just stop? When does it stop? Yeah. That's it? Here we are. This is, this is the, the end. ending. She stopped it to start to do Fun, fun Home. Wow. She put it, she pulled a webcomic where she's like, it's on hiatus. Wow. Interesting. But that was in 2008. TikTok. Like, it's TikTok. almost a decade. We're not getting it back. Oh, man. I'm, I'm a fan of non-endings <gasps> where things just stop and it's not really resolved. But not like this, Kathleen. Not like this. <laughs> I mean, like, I guess it probably doesn't bother me as much as other people, because I just kind of like it when it doesn't really resolve, and just like, well, there's so many possibilities as to where this could go, but it won't go anywhere, so I'll just assume whichever narrative I like best. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty abrupt, and, like, I was, I really wanted to see the resolution of Tony and Clarice's um, marriage falling apart, yeah. and, like, yeah. what was going to happen with Tony and, what was the other woman's name? Um, Gloria. Oh, right. Yeah. I really yeah. wanted to see what was going to happen with Tony and Rafi and Gloria and, um, I wanted Stella? to know more about yeah, Stella's transition. Like, did that yeah. Yeah. go? Like, is that, yeah. is she okay? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. there are a lot of threads where, it's funny because our, our gay conservative friend, uh, JJ McCullough, we should just shout him out right now, he actually did a really interesting series where he went, uh, to a bunch of popular sitcoms so, like, whatever was trending in the 90s. But he just watched the first and last episodes. And so I was actually chatting with him about, like, what he feels about endings to these long-running strips. And he said he brought up a bunch of really interesting threads. He's like, it's very popular to do a retrospective where uh, it's ten years later and everyone's coming back for a reunion and they kind of pick up on all of these threads. Or it's usually centered around something very central closing. So for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, they're all leaving that big house and it kind of touches on where everyone else is going. And I do feel that this work suffered for the lack of something like that. Mm. So it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just, I had to remind myself what the end was and just, I went to the last page here. It's, um, and it's strip number 527, right? Just yeah. to make sure my Kobo hasn't failed me. Yeah, 527. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, uh, reading it... I, it kind of quickly checks in on all of the characters, but but yeah, it definitely. I felt like there was going to be another 
strip after this page and then it was just a blank page and I was just like what that's oh okay this is the thing that a window into me it stresses me out as I'm reading when I can see that the page num like the number of pages I have left is winding down and plot threads aren't resolving right because then I'm going like oh geez like yeah <laughs> and, and and that kind of frustrated me about the comic and then the fact that it's unfinished is that it's now been going like this narrative has been going on since the mid 80s and now we're in 2008 and it's this endless repeating cycle of none of them can get their lives together the relationships are all perpetually hecked up politics are bad like it's just hmm. keeps going and going and going and no one's kind of there was no one person that I could touch on and be like at least their life is together you know right like it's true, like, even the ones who, like, they got married, they had the, the kids successfully, it was and now like, the marriage is falling apart. upsetting when Clarice and Tony's marriage fell apart, and I really, like, I wanted to get to the point, like, afterwards where either they are okay, like, separated, and yeah. they're, like, finding their own paths. And, like, like Mo and Harriet. Yeah, like, yeah. having a successful, like, not like, maybe even friendship outside of their relationship, yeah, and, like, finishing to, like, raise their child. You could argue that Harriet's somewhat together. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe that's the thing, is, like, the people who are... Oh, you know what? Sparrow like and her family. husband were, like, the people who are... Stu and, and Sparrow are quite stable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's, like, the people who are successful are the people who get away from this awful <laughs> It's kind of like an always sunny in Philadelphia phenomenon mm. of, like, oof, gosh... Um, but that's what I would have appreciated, even if I just went online and she made a blog post or something that was like, Mo, this is what happens. Sydney, oh. this is what happens. Harriet, this is what happens. And mm. then it's like classic. a sentence per character, and then right. I can go to sleep at night and not worry about them anymore. <laughs> just like a classic 80s movie. Yeah. Where yeah, they just, just like pan on the face exactly. like, like, A shot of Mo <laughs> jumping in the sky like this, freeze <laughs> frame, and then just a little scroll it's of like, text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> successfully completed li No, she did successfully complete <laughs> library school. <laughs> like, yeah, that's... that's she worked at this library until this year, and then... Yeah. Did they get married? Do Mo and Sydney get married? Like, that's uh, what I really... I don't think so. They don't. Sydney wants to, and Mo was like, no way. I and that Sydney's relationship. Like, yeah. yeah, that was a terrible relationship. It was like, such an interesting relationship, though. Like that was the thing is, if you're gonna double down and write an awful relationship between people who just don't get along, like go for broke man, go for something as messed up as them, because then when I'm reading about Tony and sorry, what was her wife's name? Uh, Clarice. Clarice. Yeah. Their breakup was so realistically done that yeah. it's just like, oh, bummer. Yeah. It's true. But I'm never going to meet a Mo, and I'm like, I'm never going to read someone who's such a caricature as Mo and such a caricature as Sydney. So I'm like, yeah, man, what's going on in there? So yeah. It was so <laughs> good. It was so messed true. up. But it's true because in uh, we do talk a lot about how this reflects real life. Yeah. And it's like real life doesn't tie itself up into neat little bows. I did really feel invested in these characters out of for, after a period of time. It really did feel like I was tracking along with their yeah. lives that mm -hmm. felt... Like, they were progressing in a realistic way. Yeah. And so for it to be like, hey, the environment still sucks, we still have a long way to go, politics are brutal, and everything's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of realistic in a, yeah. you know, bummer kind of way. Right? <laughs> Super bummer. Super yeah. bummer. Well, I mean, I, I think it's maybe, it, I think it kind of comes back to, like, the way you're, like, approaching, uh, it, it's life, right? It's written, like, real life. And, like I say, it's not, doesn't end satisfying there's always new struggles, and I mm -hmm. think that I don't think Bechdel sought out to tie things up with a neat little bow or tell us that like it's all going to be okay. The idea is that like it is just kind of like every day is a struggle, and so you've just got to like find your little 
slivers of enjoyment in the face of that. And you I'm can't not sure just that's like, the moral of the story. Yeah. No. I, I don't know. It's kind of a cautionary tale about the company you keep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Interesting. Don't get too hung up on yourself, yeah. I feel like yeah? is the moral yeah. of it. A thing that I was, I don't know, I was about halfway into it, that I was getting, I was really mad at this book because I was reading it. And one of the things was like, they're all caricatures and they're all stereotypes and they're all like, you know, we're going to go to our local coffee shop and we're going to have our 100 mile quinoa diet. And they were all like super, super. And then I would be sitting down to read this stupid book and I'd be like getting my stupid fair trade hummus and like the pita <laughs> that I traded someone in my building to get. And then, and like doing all of this like nonsense bull. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're a the, the queer stereotype that is on this book is also the queer stereotype that I'm heavily invested in and is my day-to-day -day life and so then I had to kind of calm down a bit. It's true it's true I, I kind of feel like I'm a character of a leftist as well like oh I'm gonna go work for my you know startup my ethically founded yeah. startup which is above a yoga studio yeah. a hot yoga studio and then across the street from a gluten-free bakery. Yeah you know? and then I'm gonna go trade zines and stuff like yeah. that to make a Vancouver stereotype in that to case. To make a podcast about independent graphic novels. I know and I was like oh man. <laughs> Hooped again. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't really fall. So it's, it's interesting because, you know, it's a portrait of the type of life that uh, is not very commonly represented. Yeah. If you want to bring it back to the beginning where Allison laid out her goals of this, uh, and it's funny because you brought up teaching English in Japan, I felt like this was one of my goals in Wasted Talent. That I had to tell the story of a woman in engineering because nobody else would. You know, <laughs> like, so it's a, a window that I'm providing other people into a career which is very... Uh, obfuscated, perhaps, you know, mm -hmm. like very difficult to understand. And from that perspective, I felt the work was a success. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. We, no. we do eat quinoa. <laughs> They're making kale chips. And I was like, I'm making kale chips. I can identify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that no. all we have to say? That's all we have to say? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I enjoyed it. I think it was uh, really well realized characters. Um, would you recommend it? I would it, recommend I think it. is our final question. Yeah, I would, I would recommend it. Okay. Um, it's, it's a great historical artifact of those 20 years. Yeah, I would agree. It was problematic at points, dense, challenging, but I learned a lot from it, I think. And I'm glad that I now have a baseline to discuss Alison Bechdel's work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wait, one thing that stuck out is she designed, she created the Bechdel test, and that strip isn't even. I yeah. me off a I well. noticed that. I yeah. said, throw me a bone. <laughs> like, it says the essential right on it. How can that not be one of the essential strips? Come on. Based on that alone, not a recommendation. No. Um, <laughs> I would probably, I, I have just complained about it for about an hour and a half, and I would tell people to read it with a lengthy list of, like, trigger warnings and, you know, disclaimers, and it's emblematic of the time, and I didn't enjoy it, and so I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't recommend it, but it is drawn really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice on a show. <laughs> sure does. It's real hefty. Um, I would probably recommend it, but similarly with the, this is the context within this, which this work was created. Um, here are some things within the book that you should just keep in mind while you're reading like this is some content that you'll come across and you can decide for yourself whether or not that's something like you because like for me there were things that were like punches in the gut but it was like I can get through to the end but I would not fault anyone for being like that is too much I cannot deal with that I need to put it down yeah like I guess that's how I feel about it where it's like I wouldn't say don't read it I think that's the thing if I had yeah. gone into it with more disclaimers 
that I could mentally and emotionally prepare for, especially because transphobia really yeah, is oh, really sorry, huge. Dude. No, it's fine. Like, it's nothing. Like, it, well, it's not nothing. It's, very big, it's a very big deal. Um, but that was the thing that I didn't even see it coming, so that when it did come, I was like, woof, jeez, yeah, golly. Like it's, it's coming from, you know, a, a safe and it's And it's, that's the thing, is that, yeah. like, when you're queer reading queer work, you want to think that it's going to be on your side all the time, and it's not. So that's, the, mm-hmm. that's the nature of the beast. However, from a historical t- standpoint and knowing our roots as a community where we come from, it's very important. So, I don't know if I'd recommend it, though. I don't know. It's very complicated. I don't know. It's <laughs> a totally gonna, fair I'm answer. I've been unpacking it for a no, long time. Yeah. I think, no, I think that's totally valid. I think that's, that's good. That's a good summation. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Not should we... everyone is going to have the same reaction as her, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe just pick it up and decide. You be the judge after you start reading it. I don't know. <laughs> take my word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Shall so we sign off? I, uh, I think what it's... are we doing? We have a bunch oh, of yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Next time. So, next time on the Trade Waiters... Angela's we're, pick. We're going to do a marathon style where we're going to read as many chapters of Bakuman as we can before we pass out and run out of time. It is a fight to the death. That's right. Yes. Uh, minimum four. <laughs> Which shouldn't take too long. How, okay. how many books are there? A million thirty-seven. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Okay. Volumes 20. Okay. Okay, so it's a manga called Bakuman, and it is written by Tsugumi Oba and illustrated by Takashi Obata. And okay. it's a comic about counts. Ooh. Time right to bring then. it back. Nice. All right. Cool. Um, and should we do our uh, our shout-outs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. You, you start us off. I have to think of one. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I am Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca or teachenglishinjapan.ca. Um, and my uh, shout-out is going to be for a, a series I just started reading on Comixology, uh, which is called No Mercy. And it's uh, illustrated by Carla Speed McNeil, who we've reviewed before, uh, but it's written by uh, Alex DeCampi, and it is about American Princeton students who are in a bus accident in Mexico and have to struggle with uh, not having access to infrastructure, first world infrastructure that they're used to having access to in the face of a calamity like this. Very interesting read. Very good. My name is Angela Mellick. You can find my work at wastedtalent.ca. Uh, you know what? I just got a book in the post from a Kickstarter, so I'm going to put this shout-out to Vatu, which is by Evan Dam. Oh, Dan, don't <laughs> scoop me. I've hauled it all the way here. Uh, we were discussing how Evan has probably already written enough to deserve a Lifetime Achievement Award from my perspective, <laughs> and his work is very atmospheric and meditative and colorful and beautiful, and I love it very much. Vatu. Nice. Riceboy.net or something. Yeah. Race Boy Donut? Uh, I think so. I think so. Who knows? Mm, um, Google it. <laughs> I'm Sfay R. Monster, and you can find me online at SfayMonster, S-F-E-M-O-N-S-T-E-R, dot com, and Tumblr, and Twitter, and all those places. I don't consume enough media to have another indie wreck. I want to talk about, like, YouTube tech racks. Do it. <laughs> you do it. check out tech racks on YouTube. He destroys iPhones in very esoteric ways, and it's very satisfying. If you like ridiculous excess to the amount that I do, and a guy that starts all of his videos with, what is up, guys? <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, the decadence of destroying iPhones with no safety equipment and lots of dangerous yeah, chemicals. Yeah, he not tech rags for his, um, his He touches things that you probably shouldn't touch. Yeah, he's like, I got some bromine. We're going to see what happens when you pour it on a phone. Don't do it, buddy. Where's All the right. goggles? Save your All right. Uh, I'm Captain Gross, and you can find my most recent comic uh, updating at lunarmalities.com. And I just finished reading a real prose novel. Yeah, none of this fake comic garbage. <laughs> Moving up in the world, I read a children's novel. <laughs> uh, it's just like a fun magic story um, called So You Want to Be a Wizard by Diane Duane. Um, and it preceded Harry Potter, and it's just sort of this charming 80s wizardry. Yeah. Nice. Flashback wizardry. All right. Uh, the trade writers would like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for the use of their Inspiration Lab recording studio and Sleuth for the music. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Please like us there and write a review. And you can also visit our site at tradewriters.tumblr.com.